This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Today, your auto talks your episode 43 of the podcast, which is going to be a short one this month. Apologies for that. But you know what? It's the end of the year, and a few things have conspired to make this a bit shorter than normal. One, Pretty much every year after Essen, new releases really dry up. And so my normal starting segment of new games of interest, I got really very little to say. Now, next month in January, I think probably the entire episode is going to be a big blowout about the games of interest of 2019. But 2018 is over. I mean, really, the only things I could talk about are a couple of late bloomers from Rio Grande Games, New Frontiers, and Beta Colony, both of which I'm going to be trying to do a run-through for this month because they just showed up in the mail. They're both very, very cool sci-fi Euro-style games, but that would have been the whole segment. Uh, And then my other normal segment, revisiting top tens. I haven't filmed this month's top ten yet. I'm sorry. Things are a little out of order, particularly after last month where I did three of them back to back. So I don't have that topic. So this month, it's just the Q&A. Unfortunately, there were quite a few very, very good questions. Uh, I have to admit, I had a really fun time doing both the uh, gaming and the personal Q&A this month with Jen. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Although, before we get to it, I'm just going to warn you, and actually, I, I scratch that. I'm just going to go on ahead and apologize for the Q and A's right now because, man, this month it's not Rado talks through; it's Rado rants through. I was really just going crazy, so much so that normally. The day that I record this show is the same day I put it up, but we recorded the Q&A yesterday, me and Jen, and I just left it overnight because I was almost thinking, man, you know what, I just went too far off the deep end, especially in the personal Q&A, especially when we got to uh, somebody asking about immigration. Oh, boy. Um, As I say at the time, I apologize for just getting very shouty and ranty, uh, but I, I really want to apologize to everybody. Everybody, again, I know full well that shouting at people doesn't do any good, and I'm very embarrassed. I actually left it overnight because I thought, you know what, maybe I should just go on ahead and re-record all that stuff, um, take a second stab, but no, I'm, I'm really kind of committed to the notion of this show being very raw and in the moment, and natural, and unscripted, and unprepared. So it's a real reflection of me. Uh, And in this month, maybe it's a reflection of me, both good and bad. Anyway, like I said, I just wanted to give you a fair warning what you're about to go into. I, Like I said, hopefully I didn't blow out the speaker on the camera, but it's like I said, this month it's Rotto Rants Through, and if if you're up for that, well, hold on a second, everybody. We'll be right back. Okay, and boom, just like that, we hit the Q&A. Like I said, it's going to be a shorter podcast than normal with the holidays upon us, but Jen is now here with me. Hi, honey pie. Hello, everybody. Hi, honey. Uh, Like I said, there's definitely fewer questions this month than normal. And folks, as always, 
Please send your questions, whatever they might be, to questions at raw.com so we can hit them in a future podcast. But, as usual, let's start out just doing the game-related ones. Maybe Jen will pipe in, or maybe she'll just continue looking at puppies on Facebook, which seems to be what she's doing at the moment. (laughs) Um, Lots of puppies on Facebook. While I do the heavy lifting, and then after we're done with the game-related stuff, we'll move on to the personal-related stuff, whereupon I'm sure many of you will jump ship. But, starting out... Uh, so Kumar actually didn't have a question. I remember this when it came in. He just wanted to post a, a follow-on to a question that I think was last month. I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, but somebody wrote in talking about how they've noticed that their enthusiasm or passion or drive for gaming has dropped, and they were wondering if I'd ever seen the same. And they just mentioned in passing, oh, by the way, I just had a kid. And both Jen and I had to laugh and say, well, you know, it might be a little bit more of an external thing that's leading to your drop in gaming rather than an internal <laughs> thing. I don't know if there's something new in your life you might be overlooking there. We thought that was cute. But anyway, uh, uh, Sukumar just wanted to throw in, you're right. A kid changes everything. Playing games uh, with uh, long playtime is definitely effective. I have so many games still in shrink from purchase two years ago that we simply haven't had the time to bring out. But on the plus side, my son, who's apparently been watching my videos for years now, is coming to an age eight where we can play games of certain complexity. I finally managed to break out Jamaica. I think uh, another one of your recommendations... Sorry, no, uh, uh, so I've never played Jamaica. Don't know anything about it. But we had a blast. Let's see here. So, there's just a, an extra data point for you, but perhaps a hopeful um, silver lining around that cloud. Not that I want to say your your new child is a cloud at all, because I'm sure it's a <laughs> wonderful blessing and all of that. But anyway, there will be more gaming in your future. But let's see here. Andrew, I believe, does have a question. After listening to the last podcast, someone asked, who is the most creative designer? Oh, nope, this is another um Feedback from listeners, I mentioned, off the top of my head, the most creative designer, or it wasn't creative, it was the, the designer who had the most range, who did, uh, you know, really kind of push themselves with lots of different genres and gameplay styles. Who, who was the most? And the first one that popped in my head was Dave Tucci. Andrew wanted to say, I'm crazy, nothing against Dave, but it that crown would have to go to Vlada Shavadal. And... I have to say, I figured I'd throw this in because Andrew was not alone. I saw several people reply with that on BoardGameGeek and on YouTube, you know, where every place I posted the podcast, everybody said, what are you, crazy? Vlada Shvatl, King Vlada is the king of variety. And yes, I'm a dummy. I'd have to give it to Vlada over Dave. It's just... Uh, Vlad has been hasn't really been as active as much in recent years, while Dave has just been cranking out stuff. He's kind of in his prime, and so that's just what popped into my head first. But yes, of course, you got to give some love there for gameplay design variety. Okay, Henrik, I believe, actually has a question. In fact, he has several. Starting out, could I release the Essen list a week earlier next year? I'm sorry, Henrik. Uh, when did I release it? I know the the video only went up like the day before or something like that. I'd meant to. I think I've always done it 
like just about the 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 weekend prior to the actual date because in all honesty I'm just waiting until the last possible second so it can be as thorough as possible because there I don't understand why there are always publishers coming in in the 11th hour listing games uh I don't know uh, people if a lot of people want to go to guild.rata.com and give feedback about that that would be fantastic it's a it's a fair point Henrik I'm certainly open for negotiation on this. <laughs> Another reason I wait so long is because I'm lazy too. And I just put everything off as long as I humanly, as long as possible. Alrighty. <clears throat> Henrik also says, could I give my thoughts about Teotihuacan in terms of relation to other games? Most people only mention how it's a spiritual successor to Zulkin, and I'm surprised no one mentions its connection with Versailles and Praetor. Also from publisher NSKN. Personally, I don't find too many similarities to Zulkin. Yes, it's certainly true. The similarities to Zulkin are more thematic. Although, me, I think there are spiritual similarities there too. But you're entirely right. Um, and it is something I should have talked about in the video. Because I believe, uh, specifically, NSKN's Versailles and Praetor, both from designer Andre Novak, those were both big inspirations to the development of uh, Teotihuacan. I believe he was just a huge... Was it Simone Luciani? I'd have to look it up, the designer. He was a, he's a fan of Andre's designs. And I, you know when he, he took inspiration from both those games, kind of mashed them together, and came up with something really, really cool, themed after the Zulkin, you know, um, Central American... Uh, you know, historical simulation, and the only place he took it to, as I understand it, was in SKN because I, it was kind of a love letter to Andre's designs. I really, I, I, I'm glad you brought it up um, because, yeah, that's just a really cool story. You don't hear very much that kind of overlap between designers. Uh, come to think of it, I'm surprised it's not actually in the rulebook. Oh, I could see why because that might look like uh, Andre tooting his own horn. But yes. Obviously, that's really the root of what Teotihuacan is. Taking the aging dice of Praetor and the big board-sized rondelle of Versailles and you know, creating something really, really cool. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't uh, Simone Lynch, it was uh, Danielle Tacchini. And, by the way, David Turchi, who also worked on it. I, uh, he did the solo version. There's another way that Dave is branching out. So, you know, you're right, I, I totally should have pointed it out. But, I mean, I think if you're going to talk about Teotihuacan, everybody's going to want to hear how does it compare to Zulkin, just because that's going to be the first thing on anybody's mind because of the pedigree. During the last couple of podcasts, I've been upset, let's say, about poor game descriptions on BoardGameGeek. And Henrik fully agrees. Could I give thoughts on a few selected below? He's actually uh, copy and pasted. Uh, he knows I'm lazy, so he's copied the BGG description, so I don't even have to go look them up. Okay, it's the one for Underwater Cities, the one for Smash. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the one for Paper Tales. And let's see, I have to open this up because it's in a really super tiny font, and I can't read it. I don't know. Am I going to read these entire things? Let me just look at them. Folks, you can just go to Board Game Geek and look these up and read them for yourself. I'm just going to give an on-the-fly while Jen continues to look at puppies and kittens uh, because so far no one's had any questions. If you have games questions for Jen, by all means, throw them out there. I mean, there's a, you, you, she might surprise you. you. You could be surprised. You could be surprised. Uh, let's see here. All right. I don't know it takes about... Well, this isn't going to be particularly exciting or fun to 
All right. Powerful world brains dominated. The main <clears throat> is card placement. Oh yes, you know what? Underwater cities is terrible. It does an absolutely awful job of creating excitement around the very, very cool and unique element of the game. I think, first of all, the first mistake is they don't even point out the fact that it's a worker placement game where you're using cards as your workers. Just that, in and of itself, that's a hook. That's different, because everybody has a preconceived notion of what a worker placement game is. Right. Uh, I played Agricola, I take little tokens, I put them on spaces on the board, and I do what it says. This blows that out of the water by giving you a hand of cards. Don't get me wrong, it's not the first game that's done it. But I don't think there's another game that's done it as well. That okay, I mean, and so it just instantly makes you kind of rewire your thought process. Wait, it's a worker placement game with cards instead of tokens? What's that mean? Why did you not lead with that? That's such a big deal. And then it has, geez, it's like three or four or five. It's a very long paragraph trying to describe the very, very cool thought process you have to go through of matching. Well, I mean, you you, you have. What they don't do here is they 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 speak about it very dryly. Um, they don't talk about it particularly thematically, although they do mention theme a little bit, to be fair. But but they don't talk about it from the perspective of the play experience. That's what you need to sell me on. You can't sell me. Although to be fair, I mean I, I'd probably read between the lines, but I still think this is weak. What you need to sell me on is why is this cool? Why is this an interesting and innovative gameplay mechanism? And why? How does it make it more fun? All this does is just describe mechanically what it does. What you need to do is talk about why it's so exciting that um, you know and and um, and tension filled that I've got these workers, these cards, in my hand. I want to, like a regular worker placement game, play them to certain slots to do these core actions I need to do. But I also have this extra consideration of trying to match the cards with certain um, zones based on their color. And that will often push me to do actions that aren't really important to me right now. So I'm always presented with this tough, tough choice. Do I play the card to do the action I want? Or do do, do I play the card into a slot that won't give me the action I want, but will give me a different bonus that I do want that's implicit with the card. Now, this is off the top of my head. I'm not saying I'm doing a good job here, but that's the crux of the game. That's where the game happens. And this talks about that in a very dry and academic way. And that's a real shame, because it's so special. Let's see, Smash, or uh, that's not just Smash, right? It's I want to say Smash Brothers, but that's not... Uh, it's, it's that game where you mish, mishmash cards together. Let's see, sir. So it's a shuffle-building game. Smash Up, that's what it is. Smash Up begins with a simple premise. Take 20 cards, two factions, shuffle them in a deck of 40 cards, compete to crush more bases than your opponents. Now, that's good. That is a fantastic opening sentence. Uh, because it, it does exactly what I'm talking about. It opens with what makes this game special. Um, I'd say... Each faction involves a different gaming mechanism. Pirates move the cards, zombies bring back cards, and dinosaurs have enormous power. Each combination of factions, perfect. I I don't think I could do much better. I was going to say, my only complaint about that first sentence was uh, to say, oh, you mixed two factions. Well, that's a little dry. Uh, My my thought would have been to put in a parenthetical, uh, pirates meets dinosaurs, mummies meets ghosts, whatever they are. I don't even know what they are. Uh, But, you know, so maybe they missed a a hit by not getting right to the cool thing about the game, but they got it in the very second sentence. And the first sentence was still very good. So that's fantastic. They almost don't even need to do anything else. This is a textbook example of 
how to do it right, the smash up de- uh, definition, because they lead with their strength and they do a good job of simply and elegantly communicating why it's cool. Let's see here. And then, okay, and then it just goes deeper. I, I love this song. Uh, you know, well, all you got to do is this. Sound easy? Well, maybe not when an opponent does. And, you know, and this is great. This is, uh, th- yeah, this is textbook. I think I already said that. I'm never going to read the rest. Smash up. Perfect example of how to do it. They bring the theme in. They emphasize what makes it cool and special. They present it from the perspective of a player, uh, not from the perspective of a publisher trying to tell you what their game is about. They tell it from my story. This is what will happen to me, not what will happen in the game. That's an important distinction. Let's move on to Paper Tales. Experience two fantastical centuries of expansion and combat in Paper Tales. Boring... Boring. That there is nothing cool about. That is a terrible opening sentence. Remodel your assorted assembly of characters, units, and buildings in each period based on your developments in the Age of Heroes. Write a new legend of the rightful ruler who brought unity to rival kingdoms. Ugh. This is a total face plant. This does that is a terrible opening. Does nothing. It's and don't get me wrong. It's actually talking about the core thing that makes Paper Tales cool. First of all, that's a whole sentence not actually saying that it's a deck builder. Do they ever even acknowledge that they're a deck builder? I'm just skimming the rest. I don't see the word deck builder in there anywhere. Hey, open with what it is. Tell me what it is. Um, I I, I don't need to... Oh man, this is just 100% fluff. It's 100% meaningless. They didn't tell me right off the bat that it's a deck builder. Which is important. If I like deck builders, okay, I'm already interested. You've hooked me. I'm in. I want to know. But yeah, okay, it's a deck builder. I get it. But what makes you special? That's the story they should tell with this Paper Tales uh, description. But they don't. Um, And then they do... This opener kind of talks about how... I mean, the the fundamental thing that makes Paper Tales interesting is that... what, What do they say? They say, remodel your assorted assembly of characters, units, and buildings in each period based... Oh my god... (laughs) <laughs> Honey, does that sound exciting? No, I'm sorry, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, the thing that makes Paper Tales interesting is it's a deck builder crossed with almost... I, I don't want to say a war game because that's not true, but it is. It's a direct conflict game where you are um, arraying... or all, you know, You're playing a deck builder, but the cards you're playing aren't just going to buy you provinces and and um, visits down to the local blacksmith. You are deploying units and you have to... Do, ah, I'm not going to try and write this for them. I mean, they'd have to pay me to do it, quite frankly. But (laughs) that's what they need to focus on. What makes it cool? That opening sentence literally obfuscates what makes this cool. That's a great example, Henrik, because it's so terrible. Uh, Oh, and then, what do they do for the next sentence? In more detail, Paper Tales is a simultaneous drafting card game. Wait a minute, was it drafting? I thought it was... Man, I haven't played it for over a year. They didn't actually send me the uh, expansion. I would have loved to cover it, actually. But anyway... Oh, that's right. It was drafting. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not a deck builder. It's a drafting game. But is a drafting deck builder? No, it's been so long. Okay, yeah. Still, in more detail, open with that. Let me know. It's a drafting card game. People love Seven Wonders. They love Sushi Go. Again, that's a hook. Don't bury your lead. Each turn, players draft five units. They recruit into their kingdom, assuming that they can pay. These choices determine players' abilities to shine in battle, generate income, construct dominant buildings, and earn legend points. There are only four hiring positions available during the four rounds of play. Your units grow older. Oh, gosh, yes, that's right. You've waited until the end of 
of the description to say one of the absolute coolest things, that your units age. And not only, that's not it, it's not only that they age, but that their functionality changes. And a major part of the strategy of that game is managing that. That's the coolest thing about it, and you end with that? You don't start with that? Sorry, I'm going up a couple of octaves. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, you know, th yeah, that's a perfect example of every single thing wrong. I'm sorry, guys. Paper Tales is a great, great card game. Although, I'm embarrassed. I thought it was a deck builder, but now I obviously had to mix up something else. It was a, a drafting game. It's a great, great drafting game. I mean, you know, even though it was a combat game, Jen and I really enjoyed it. It was that good. But you wouldn't be able to tell that from this. Ugh. Thanks, Andrick. That was... Uh... Hey, I think just Henrik likes to hear me shout. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have anything to say about all that, Hypi. You probably don't because you don't really read. Um, I don't. Read. Uh, yeah. Nope. It's once in a blue moon that I read a manual. Yes, indeed. All righty. <clears throat> Next up, we've got Dan. Daniel. Who wonders about depth and luck. How much dice rolling is too much dice rolling for you and Jen? Honey, you're in on this one. you got to say how much dice rolling is too dice rolling. You said... Mm -hmm. You don't like dice combat, but why do you like Legends of Andor, and especially this war of mine? I can get Legends. Uh, it's sort of a Euro optimization with dice, but this war of mine is Ameritrash, 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 is Ameritrash, Ameritrash gets. I put in a few Ameritrashes there. He was a bit more succinct. Uh, if there was a country called Ameritrash, it would be their king. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Okay, so yo, he, he went deeper than me. Um, okay. Um, I would say neither of those. Both of those games are interesting because they are not, they do something interesting with dice. Dice is too much. If, if you do something cool with dice, I'll give you a lot of leeway. I, I really, really will. Um, Legends of Andor, I, the dice rolling in that game is good predominantly because of the archer, which, by the way, is the uh, class that Jen almost always, probably 95% of the time, plays. Even if there is no arch, she says, well, well, give me a bow then, because I want... And, <laughs> and the thing that's cool about that is you're not just rolling your dice to see whether you succeed or fail. You're playing a little mini push-your-luck game. Okay, I, I, I'm really strong with my bow. I can roll three dice. All right, but you don't roll them all at once. You roll them yes. one at a time. Oh, I got a four. That's the worst thing. If it was a three, then I think I should go again. If it was a five, I should probably stop. Then you stop, yep. But a four... I've got two more dice. Yeah. What do I do? Ah! You know, and then suddenly, that's cool. That's fun. That's doing a neat thing with dice. And coincidentally, you mentioned this war mine, does the same thing. Adds this push-your-luck element um, you know, in the overall structure of how you use dice, um, because you're like, do I keep going deeper? Do we keep going deeper? Um, the deeper we go, the more dangerous the dice become. And so it's not just a flat, boring, oh, okay, I've moved my three units into there, and Jen's moved her two, but she's supplemented them with some kind of card, and so, oh, I guess I'm going to roll three d6s, Jen's going to roll five d6s. I didn't see that card was coming. Let's just roll and see what happens. Boring. Because there's no agency. There's nothing interesting going on. Sure, there's maybe interesting decisions that led up to the dice roll, but then the dice decide everything, and we just have to sit back and wait. And there's nothing fun about that. Mm. And or is cool, because I roll the die, and then I make a decision. And then, okay, I'll roll another die. Ah, i got to make another decision. <laughs> we went down to a three. Ah, do we go again? Or do we... Okay, do we just cut our losses? That's fun. D when dice pull decisions away from us, that's when it's too much. I'm going to agree with that. And I, what is that game where you roll and then you can put the dice in the little tray and it gives you different actions? 
Oh, uh, there's lots like that. Oh, but oh, you're probably thinking of claustrophobia, I think. I think I probably am. Yeah, because yeah. specifically those trays that you, which represent your characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I love that you roll dice and then you get to make choices with your dice. Exactly. Again. And then we just played, um, I think, was it Pandemic? The um... a pa a Pandemic uh, Fall of Rome, yes. Yeah. Which had a lot of dice rolling. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. Pandemic Fall of Rome, it oh. would be an example of what I'm talking about. Okay, well, I've moved my... Oh, no, but even still... Well, no... A pandemic fall of Rome, honestly, I would have been happy if there were no dice. But there is something cool that they did do with the dice. At the end of the day, I move in. The decision I make is, oh, I've got three guys. We're just trying to take out two cubes. Should I attack with all three? Because that could up bar losses. Should I just attack with two and keep one safe as a fallback? You know. So there's some interesting choices, but then you still roll the dice. It's okay. We are, I'm going to speak for myself. I enjoyed the game in spite of the dice. There's one cool thing about it, which is kind of like an exploding dice mechanism, that if you get lucky, each die has a 1 in 6 chance, so therefore you're encouraged to roll more dice, that you get to unlock your special power. That was nice. Yeah. That was cool because it meant that the uh, decision of how many dice to roll was kind of more interesting. But still... Even though they're special case dice, you know, custom and all of that. And um, and I guess maybe I liked it a little bit more because the dice are statistically skewed in our favor. So you can make more informed decisions. It's not just a, the equivalent of, of, of flipping a coin or what have you. But still, I would have loved those dice not to be there. Or I would much rather those dice be, like Jen was just saying, Hey, okay, we're going to go to combat. Let's roll the dice. Okay, here's what it's given us. Now, how are we going to resolve this combat? Yeah. How are we going to spend these one, two, or three dice? Are we going to spend them to um, fight them off, or to um, you know build ourselves up, or to escape, or whatever? That would be a more interesting use. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say they're too much, because there's still so much going on, and at least they did some interesting things. Um, but anyway, yes, honey pie. Okay, and then there was another game we just played where you could... Um... Remember, I was confused about the dice for, for most of the game, but um, basically... <laughs> I remember that. You had the black and the red and the blue. Um, That is Beta Colony. That's the colonization yeah. game, yes. And then you could use the dice, and then you could choose from the, the row or column or whatever, and you had to pay with the different colored cubes. Yes. Okay, talk about that. Um, well, I mean, no, it's it's another example. It's, it's a case... It's a good use of dice. Yeah, because you had all sorts of options. You had bonuses if you used the dice, the certain color dice in a particular place. Um, or you could use it to move, or you could use it for the action of the space that you land on. So it, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was really really good, uh, and and it's it, for exactly the, the same reason. That's not just a oh we've made all our plans, we've made all our choices. Now let's just roll the dice and see if it works or not. Uh, you know, I mean that's that's boring. That is literally boring. Um, at best, that's just it's it just to the fates. yeah yeah. I mean. At best, it's kind of a, eh, I could take it or leave it. Um, but it's so much more interesting. Dice are such an incredible tool that designers can use to force restrictions on players. Um, you know, and forcing restrictions on players that they then have to feel clever when they overcome those by using whatever's available to them uh, is, is a recipe for success. Uh, and it's always a shame, you know, because just rolling dice to see what happens... Just go play Monopoly, why don't you? I mean, that's it's you know it, that that's is just as terrible of use of dice um, as opposed to okay, if Monopoly, if Monopoly lets you roll three dice 
And you then, okay, I have a choice. I can use these dice to move. And oh, I could use them to move to one of three spaces. I've got a choice about where I want to go. Or I could combine two dice, which means the third die I could use to move backwards if I want. (laughs) Suddenly, oh, I'm using these dice as tools. And instantly, Monopoly becomes cool. Monopoly becomes interesting because it's full from start to finish with decisions. Um, And that's a simple change. I'm sorry. Everybody just wants me to shout. Do you want to say anything more calmly or... No. Okay. I just wanted to point those two examples out. You're right. They're fantastic examples of how to properly use dice. And we'll never get tired of that. We just get fatigued with, okay, we've made all our choices. Roll. Oh, we succeeded. Oh, we failed. All right, let's try again. Mm -hmm. You know, yawn. That is so ancient. Yeah, sure. That was fine for chain mail. You know, or or, I don't know. Did did chain mail actually have dice? I'm not not a... But anyway, you know, Yawn City. Okay. <clears throat> On the same note, says Dan, do we have any interest in Street Masters, cooperative dice or card-driven dungeon crawl-ish game inspired by old-school beat-em-ums like Street? Sure. Yeah, I remember it. Um, or Solomon Kane. I, I don't know. Let's see. It has dice drafting. You love dice drafting. Solomon Kane. I don't know about that. Street Masters, they actually contacted me about doing a run-through for it, and I turned them down. I think, was it the Sadler Brothers, I think, are the designers on those? And I think they're great. They're, they, they've got real promise. But the preponderance of dice rolling, roll to resolve, was that was an example of one that crossed over the threshold. I was definitely interested because I played Streets of Rage in uh, high school in the arcade. I loved them to death. Uh, used to play a ton of Final Fight on my Super Nintendo, too, back in the day. But, yeah, it was too much. Uh, Solomon Kane, why do I not know about that? What is what is this? Let's see. Came out, or has it come out? It is, uh, no, well, because I don't know anything about it. It hasn't come out yet. From Mythic Games, I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about it, so I couldn't say. I like cooperative games. The subject matter looks good. I know Jen would have a bit of a problem with Solomon Kane himself. She would not be a particularly he would not be a particularly compelling uh, lead character for her, since she's a bit more uh, a bit less tolerant of uh, blindingly religious people or uh, heroes. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, you, you say there's dice drafting. Maybe it's interesting. Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I, you've hit me with a blind spot there. It's certainly something worth looking into more. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I, I, I don't have it down. It's something that I've sought out. And I'm sure I've read about it before. I'm, I'm not going to read it because there's a long description. I'm not going to look into it right now. But I do love dice drafting. <laughs> Righty. You say some games, uh, they don't have meat on their bone. What makes Escape an exception? I wouldn't say Escape is a particularly meaty game. No. Yeah, it's, no, it doesn't try to be. No, that it's just... It's instant, and yeah. you have to make decisions, and there's a, a franticness, and it definitely it keeps you in the moment. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, if if there if whenever I say, you know, there's more to it. When I say well, the game, I mean, it's fine, but it wasn't for us. There's not enough meat on the bones. That genuine generally means it was too light for us. It, it, it was it, we we played it, and we thought, oh yeah, this works. I, I played this with my mother-in-law. But I would never choose to play this over a bajillion other games because it didn't offer anything that really engaged us, that found, that captivated us. Escape is a light game, but it is super duper captivating uh, because of the real time nature. And also, one other thing that I th- I'm always surprised people do not give Escape 
enough credit. Uh, because a lot of people say, oh, you just roll dice till you get what you want. It's a total luck fest. And that's not true. You have a lot of control in that game, and you're constantly making decisions. Because what you will constantly be presented with... Right, I know that's the room I'm going to. I just rolled the dice to try to get into that room, and I just rolled all of the dice I need once I get in the room. Do I hold on to those? Do I set those aside and make it very, very difficult to get in the room? Because now I'm only rolling two dice? Um, Or do I throw that away? It's a game where you're constantly having to make interesting decisions. Not super heavy, incredibly tough ones, but interesting decisions over and over and over again. The ratio of decisions to time spent playing that game is through the roof. And I never understand, because uh, people just ignore that, and they say, oh, I, I roll everything. I didn't get what I needed? Okay, I'll roll everything again until I get what I do. I feel bad for them, because they're not really getting the strategic depth of that game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Escape is special. Uh, if Escape were forced you to re-roll every single die, every single time, we might not have liked it. It was the fact that it encourages you to set stuff aside and risk, and decide, how long do I push this risk before I give up? And Okay, well, I'll take one of those back, and I'll start rolling with them, too. Oh, no, now I'm getting locked! Okay! Ah! Oh, but Jen's close by. She can get over here and unlock me, and I can still hold on to these things, and then we'll both go in the room together. That's that's the awesomeness yeah, of Escape. Definitely. You've made me want to play it. <laughs> All righty. Um, Okie doke. Let's see here. I think that was it for Dan. Moving on to Peter. Oh, and plus oh yes. It's, plus, it's awesome because it's so short. It's so immediate. That's a big deal too. I mean, yeah. If if it were a half an hour game of that, you couldn't stand that kind of intensity <laughs> for half an hour. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, that was one of your problems with uh, Escape Zombie City. I don't know if you remember playing yeah, it. I do. Uh, because it was a longer game. It yeah. was just went from 10 to 15 minutes. Um, if I recall correctly, I have to go back and look. I might be mixing it up with Zombie 15 as well. But it was a longer thing, and it had more... Uh, it, it, you know, it had more uh, bookkeeping we had to do because we had to rem- remove the zombies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was overall a more challenging game. But it did require more. And I think for Jen, it like, kind of crossed a line. It was a bit more fatiguing than she liked. And, I mean, she doesn't like zombies necessarily. But, honestly, I thought it was a better game. Sorry, but that's getting off. You didn't ask about uh, Escape Zombie City. So let's move on. Let's see here. Peter actually... Peter, I'm sorry. I should have just replied when this came in. Peter wrote a very long and well-thought-out proposal for a variant for the game Dreamhouse. And wanted to get my feedback on it. Um, Peter, if you've been listening this whole time, you may have noticed, I can't even remember from a year ago that um, uh, Paper Tales was a card drafting game instead of a deck building game. I don't remember enough about Dreamhouse to say... You asked me, you wonder if suggestions um, to turn the first player into something that, while still inconveniencing the opponents, focuses on improving a first player's options. I, I like that in theory. What do I think? I think I don't remember enough about the game. Um, I think what you should do, because you've clearly put a lot of thought into it, and it's when I read it, it sounded pretty cool. You should go to Board Game Geek. Every game on Board Game Geek has a forum called Variants. You should post this and get feedback, and I guarantee you'll get better feedback than I could ever give. Because I'm always moving forward. I, I don't have time to go back. You're in the in, Dreamhouse is in the past. What's in the in the future? Let's see what Jonathan says. You talked in the last episode about the BGG rating system, how it's skewed towards more modern games because they're just plain better. Alrighty. Well, I agree that the quantity of better games does favor more uh, midterm stuff. Midterm? Modern. Oh, modern stuff. You've missed out. You forgot the O. There are still games that get lost in the shuffle. What if BGG introduced something like Box Office Mojo um, with adjusting for inflation? I'm not sure how this would work. 
Um, because of course, you know, yeah, as you point out yourself, I mean, that's not, that's not adjusting for subjective opinions about the quality. It's objecting for cold, hard cash based on inflation. But it's nice to have classics have their due, uh, right position because of their influence in the hobby. If there'd be a way to examine the longitudinal impact of games rather than always cult and new, that would be fantastic. Thoughts? Uh, well, you know what? I mean, I guess that's true. Uh... I think what you're—I don't—I don't know about the viability of that. I am familiar with Box Office Mojo, and the problem is you're applying something that uh, you know provides objective metrics to something that's subjective, and you can't do that. Thinking about it, what that pops in my head is why doesn't Board Game Geek? Board Game Geek does a yearly awards thing, and all they do is they talk about the best games of the last twelve months, the Oscars, and other major awards for more established and. Um, uh, well-considered uh, uh, art forms, because they've been around for a century or what have you, they always do their legacy awards, their Cecil B. DeMille most influential things. Um, I think that's missing. I think there needs to be more of that. I, I th- why doesn't Power Grid have the Board Game Geek Influential Status Award uh, for of 2018? You know, because it was a year that you know, Power Grid's influence was really felt in a lot of other games. I think something like that could be really cool. Um, but yeah, the box office mojo applying objective metrics to subjective stuff, I, I don't know that that would necessarily work. I, it seems like that's a pretty fundamental disconnect there. Um, ah, and uh, Jen's getting ready. She's digging. She's starting to dig for her words of wisdom. For <laughs> Don't worry, folks, when we get to the personal stuff. Let's see. Finally got around to listening to the October podcast regarding Robin Hood and Merry Men. I've got it, and I want to play it, but the rule book is unclear. Since you're in Seattle, may I offer you my copy to come and borrow and do a run-through? Oh, Jamie. We're not in Seattle. I'm sorry, man. Or I'm, 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 I'm sorry, sister. Depending. Jamie could go either way. Could go either way. Um, I'm sorry, friend. The, uh, the, the problem is we are not in Seattle. We are down south, south, south. We're just across. The, we're, we're, near, we're in the Vancouver area. Not too far from Portland. So that's a very kind offer. I, I, w- I would seriously maybe consider it because I would like to check the game out. I'm really interested in it. I love the Miko's art. And I thought their previous game which I don't remember the name of it now, but it was about immigration, uh, had a lot of really cool stuff. I guess it's, I, 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 Statue of Limitations is passed. I can say that their previous game to Robin Hood, they actually did send it to us because I thought I read the rule book and I thought, wow, this is really cool. And Jen and I played it and we're like, ah, nope, 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 nope. Guys, I wrote to them, do you want me to do this? Because I'll probably hurt your campaign. This, we did not find this game fun. It was very problematic for reasons X, Y, and Z. And they were very cool about that. And they said, thanks so much for the feedback. And my understanding is they made a lot of changes to it. I should, we should go back and try it someday. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, but I still thought the core of that game was really cool. It just had a lot of problematic areas. So I'm really interested in Robin Hood. Like I said, if we were there, I'd probably take you up on it. We'd have to meet in a neutral zone because Jen has decided no more rando Rado runs through strangers coming to our house. We're done with that, but uh, we'd figure something out. But sorry, uh, Vancouver to Seattle is a bit too far of a drive. All righty, there's too many other games. I've, there's literally a no. mountain of games next to Jen. She could barely squeeze in here. And actually, I'm sitting here looking at my husband, and there there are a towering precipice of games above his head. He's, yes, he's stacked them up there, and they're like cantilevered over the shelves. <laughs> look at look at them. There, you could have an avalanche of games any moment. That one is problematic. You're right. That is a little scary. I, I had not looked at it from <laughs> from my perspective. Standing up, it looks okay. But down here, yeah, that is a little scary. At my height level. Yeah, <laughs> at the height level you live. All right. Um, let's see here. 
Um, all right. So David mentions, I talked about poorly written rules. For the most part, I agree. One thing that bothers me is the rules, even though some games are very simple. I keep asking the designated game teacher to repeat at the start of my turn. What are my options again? Naturally, after a few rounds, this is clear, but I see no reason why publishers cannot print single sheets for each player with information on. Yes, player aids. Yeah. That's so dumb when they don't do that. I know they think, well, we know the game so well because we've been playing it religiously for three years. Why would anybody need a player aid? It's so straightforward. People need player aids. People need player aids. If you can't afford it, then make the last page of your manual a big, super in-depth player aid and make that your first player marker so it hands around from player to player. Yeah, actually, player aids are one of the greatest tools for teaching a game as well. I'm so happy when there's a player aid because I hand it to Jen yeah. and as I'm walking through stuff, um, you know, she wants to look at me as I'm talking or she wants to look at the boards I'm talking, I keep saying, look at the player aid. Yep. I'm always pointing to the player aid because what happens is if Jen, even though Jen won't remember what rule X, Y, or Z is or what this, the structure of X, Y, or Z is, I'm teaching her not to play the game as much as I'm teaching her all the information you need is on that she's card. Te- he's teaching me to fish, people. I'm teaching her to fish. Exactly. It's all right there on the card. And so she knows later on, she doesn't have to ask me the same way you're having to ask the teacher. She Because she knows, oh, I can just go back there. Because I saw where that information was. Insanely powerful. Probably the most powerful teaching tool you can use when you're teaching games to other players is constantly make them refer back to the player aid so that they can't remember the whole game in a five or ten minute teach. But they can remember the player aid. Yes, all games should come with them. Even super simple ones. Splendor should have a player aid. All righty. One more thing about poorly written rules. For games that support solo, I'd really like to see an entire separate rule book for solo, even if they duplicate, for the most part, the standard rules. I hate seeing a game... Uh, to learn solo, and it's just at the end referring to the section indicating for solo, these are the changes. Uh, it takes my... Ah, that's fair enough. I can understand why they don't do that, because, I mean, the margins are so slim on making these games. I mean, they make so little profit. I can only imagine an entire second rule book has got to be very, very spendy. I mean, there's a... Re- I mean, I-, I think the Fantasy Flight, hey, look, here's the basic rules, and then here's the encyclopedia that makes everything easy to look up, is a brilliant system. And I think it's a real shame that nobody copies it. I assume nobody copies it because it's crazy expensive, yo. And I would imagine that's the case here. Uh, although, I mean, I, I, I think you're right to want it, but I think there's a reason they probably don't do it. All right, you mentioned about updated art in new printings or something to that vein, in, in that vein. Personally, I find charm with old out-of-print games. Claustrophobia is not that old, but I really hate the new printing, including the dice. There's a charm to playing with standard dice. On the other hand, while I love the original art for brass, it is worth upgrading to a newer version. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's just a question of how... Good an upgrade is it? I mean, gosh, the new Brass is just one of the most gorgeous games of 2018. Both of them. So stunning. And compared to the stark contrast of just how ugly it used to be. It was ugly for its time. And now it's one of the most beautiful Euros of the year. Um, Whereas Claustrophobia... Claustrophobia was already a gorgeous production. So I could... Yeah. um, I I think it's just always going to be... It's it's a sliding scale. Uh, But let's see. Then uh, David also says... This is the last question. In your opinion, is there a trend of well-known designers stamping their name on games that have not been designed or games that, that, that they have not designed or games that simply have designed some of the systems? There is a designer I really like and bought a couple of their latest games with his name 
or her name, though the, the mechanisms, he said mechanics, <laughs> of this game are nothing like they had decided before. In one of the games, mechanically okay, there are certain problems that led me to believe it was not fully playtested. Uh, dude, David, you got a name and shame. I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. I prefer not to give specific details. Oh, that was your next <laughs> As the designer, in case um, in case I'm incorrect with assumption, no, there's no harm. It's just you and me here, Dave. Mm -hmm. It was cool. And me. And Jen, just you, me, and Dave. You can keep it, uh, you can keep it um, 100. I don't know. Um... I, 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 I don't know that I've seen that trend. The only game I can even think of along those lines was Uwe Rosenberg's really horrific, god-awful Hengist. Hengist was definitely 100% oh. an example. Do you remember Hengist? Yeah. You can't possibly remember that. Yeah. It was years ago. It was so bad. you remember it? Yeah. It was wow. disappointment mainly. Yeah, I know. Um, so that was definitely an example of what you're talking about. It was funny. That year, the year Hengist came out, yeah. there was a, an interview somebody did with Uwe Rosenberg at Essen talking about all his games. He said, well, you know, this year you've got Hengist. Um, what, you want to talk about that? And he literally said, I, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I don't remember if he kind of blamed his poor English or something like that but yeah I mean that was clearly a design that was half finished that he never got around to and they said well hey we could we could we could we could put this in a box I, I at least I don't know I, I I'm like you I don't want to necessarily make uh bad assumptions but yeah that was an example but I can't think of other ones David by all means write back again next month and give me some examples and I'll tell you what I think I Eric with a K, says, shelf space is limited in your new home, our new home, but are there games that you've sold off or traded during the move, or, yeah, oh yes, uh, that you would consider purchasing again? Raiders of the North Sea, I saw you got rid of. T-Call 2, even though, um, yeah. You know, it's interesting, if you are a backer on Patreon at the $2 level, you, um, every month I do a unique video that I don't know, unless the backers say otherwise, will only ever be seen by backers. They're called rambles. Not last month, but the month before, I went through the entire list of whatever it was, 100, 200 games that we got rid of before we came, 120, and I gave my reasons for every single one of them, including both of the ones you mentioned. So I could certainly dig in deeper. And, oh, it was a sad tale of woe, because I didn't want to get rid of any of them. Uh, some of them I have gotten back since then, I, like in trades or whatnot, but I'm not going to seek out any games to buy, because... As Jen said a few minutes ago, we are in danger of literally... This is not an exaggeration, folks. There is a literal board game avalanche potential situation looming <laughs> over our heads. His head. Uh, uh, oh, no, actually, there's one above my head, too. Uh, it would appear it's I have a tendency to put the first box all the way properly on the shelf, and then the second one, but then the third one I only kind of half-slided, the next one I only half-slided, <laughs> and the next thing you know, the ones at the top are teetering over the edge. There are two places. <laughs> three. You've got three... Piles of these boxes about to collapse on us. Uh, yeah. So if you, if you hear a rumble, yeah, we're probably dead. It's funny when I when we first got here, I'm like, oh, I'm back in America. Uh, this will be so much easier to do trades. I'm gonna get back. I marked all the games that you know we wanted to get rid of for trade. And I started looking at trades and I did a couple of trades and I ran into two things. One, geez, Louise, when did shipping get so expensive in America? Man, minimum 15, 18 bucks to ship a single game like two states away? That's insane. It was cheaper to ship stuff out of Malta. Yes, I had no it was. idea. Yes, it was. No idea. So that quickly put the kibosh on um, getting back into trading. But the other thing was, I did before that happened, I did get a few trades. And now I'm really cool about I'm really excited about these games. But I realized, when am I going to get to play these games? Because I've got a mountain of games right next to it that publishers have sent me, and I've got to prioritize those ahead of time. So, yeah. 
I, I, I thought Raiders of the North Sea was absolutely phenomenal. I'll be honest. The reason I got rid of it, the reason I traded that one away and it didn't make it across the sea was because Paolo wanted it. And I'm like, okay, Paolo, you're, you're my first guy. He said, I'd really like that because it had all the expansions. And so I, I, you know, I, I probably would have kept that one otherwise. Uh, T-Call 2, I went back and forth on that one. It was, I was definitely getting rid of T-Call. And then I was like, well, shouldn't they go as a, as a pair? Shouldn't they really? Plus, those are really big boxes. So, yeah, there were reasons, all kinds of reasons like that. And so, yeah, I really love to call too. And I really, really love Raiders of the North Sea. But I'm not going to seek him out again. Uh, always moving forward. No time for the past. All right. Thomas would like me to elaborate on my final thoughts for Tainted Grail. Oh. All right. Um, how's the two-player experience? I, Jen didn't want to play it. I don't know. I showed it to Jen... Remember that was the Arthurian legend one that was super dark mm. from the makers of this war of mine. Yeah. And um, you know, like, hey, when you're not in the middle of desecrating graves, <laughs> you can be trying to help people get over their suicidal thoughts um, and also chasing bunny rabbits for food um, while the entire world crumbles around you as all the lights go out and darkness subsumes everything. And Jen said, yeah. <laughs> so I have a lot more experience with it solo, I'm afraid. Um, but I, I think it'd be fantastic. I, I was really, I was kind of bummed because I do think I, I, the solo works well, but I, I, I think it's going to be much, much better with more players. The combat and the, remember this is the one I was talking about how hey, you, you could fight or you could do diplomacy and you had the decks, uh, you know, this big mm. combat, you know, it was like a puzzly building like a puzzle, yeah. but you could do the exact same thing for diplomacy. You really like that. And you're like, oh, that's really cool. And I said, like, oh, but honey, we might run into somebody who's trying to commit suicide. Um, or we might have, uh, you know, uh, sexual assault survivors on our hands. And she's like, yeah, okay, maybe not. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, I can't really say. But my assumption, my gut, my instinct is that it's a very, very good two-player game. Because the fundamental crux of it is you're always, because you're under time pressures, you're being pushed to split up. But if you stay together, you're much stronger. And um, often things will appear in the world that will suddenly, potentially, oh, we split up, and now we're split. For me to get back to you, i got to go through this monster. Ah! Okay, I, I guess I'll try to face this by myself, and you can keep exploring over there. Maybe the monster will move away. You know, I mean, it, it, there's cool event-driven stuff like that. Um, or even not, there's a monster in between us. But if I walk into there, a monster will attack me because it's a blood moon. Okay, I guess I'll wait for you. Maybe the blood moon will pass. And, you know, there's cool stuff like that. I think I, I think it's a potentially a much better multiplayer game than um, Seventh Continent ever was, as an example. Question number two. How do you compare it to similar games like Gloomhaven and This War of Mine and Seventh Continent? Alrighty. You adore Gloomhaven. You don't like Seventh Continent. And you couldn't even finish one session of This War of Mine. Here's the problem. Um, Thomas, you didn't tell me why. I don't know why. I mean, there could be a million reasons that you didn't like uh, this war of mine in Seventh Continent. So I can't help you, man. I can't help you. Um, all I can say is watch the run-through and decide for yourself if it looks like fun. I, I, I don't know why you adore... You gotta give me more! You gotta give me more. Alrighty, moving on. Something Somehow, like Groundhog Day, you have to relive over and over... Oh, if I, if I had to relive over and over one year of gaming, what year would it be? In other words, if you had... To only and forever play a given year's published games, which year would you choose? I, I don't expect you to know the answer to that, mm. but 
Uh, easier way to look at it. If yeah. there was only one game you were going to play for the rest of your life. Gosh. With all of expansions and stuff? Well, um, if they came out that year, apparently. So probably not. No. It would have to be the base game. Uh, as per Thomas's. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Well, Agricola, of course. All right. All right. I, th I think that's 2008, maybe 2007. All righty. What else? All my top ten favorite ones. <laughs> your top ten list is like five or six years out of date, lady. Mm. Um, let's see. You, you got nothing? You're just going to go with Agricola? Yes. All righty. So uh, Agricola was 2007. Let's look at the games we own from 2007 and see how that year okay. would play out. All right. So I'm going to go to ranked.rotto.com. As the Wi-Fi very slowly reaches into my room, uh, 2007. All right, so that means, honey, we would have Agricola, Notre Dame, uh -huh. nice. Yeah. Uh, Vikings, very nice. Galaxy Trucker. Oh, that's this a good is one. this is looking like a good year. Biblios, yep. good, nice little light stuff in the year of the dragon. Um, you'd you'd recognize it. We haven't played it. We haven't played it since Mdina. I don't think it's <laughs> the one where uh, it's set in China. And we're, um, you know, we, we build all these little palaces and the little palaces, are these like little cardboard things and they stack, stack, stack. And the more, the higher your palace stacks, the more people you can put in your palace. But the important thing is you see all 12 events that are going to happen all 12 months and they're oh. all really terrible. And you spend the whole game preparing yep. because they're all just, will destroy you type things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a fantastic game. This is looking like a good year, honey pie. I think you might've made a good call. Um, let's see. Oh, bra the original brass. Do we get to have the new version of brass? Probably not. It had, but still. All right, so that's not a bad year. That's a pretty good year. 2007, that's a good goer. Me, the obvious answer is Gloomhaven. I was just wondering, waiting for you to say mm. Gloomhaven. Yeah. If there's only one game in the universe, how could it be anything other than Gloomhaven? Am I wrong? If I'm wrong, I'm going to be surprised. No. No, Gloomhaven is great. Yeah, but would you, if you could only have one game, Gloomhaven or Agricola? With no expansions. What's the card game that we like that's a, the deck builder, the best deck builder? Dominion? Yeah. All right. Oh, wow. I think that's 2008. Let's see here. So now you're wondering, okay, so you're wanting to compare three years and you're going to have to choose one of them. 2007 okay. for Agricola, 2008 yep. for Dominion, or I think it's 2016 or maybe 17. Let's see. Gloomhaven is 2017. Sorry. All right. So remember... You had Agricola, you had Galaxy Trucker, you had Notre Dame. You, you had two really good Feld games. Yep. Uh, you had a nice little light game, but you didn't have very many. I, that was I think we, we have like seven games, and All that's right. it. Okay. So that's a problem. All righty, let's see. Uh, uh, what was it? You said Dominion. Dominion is, as predicted, 2008. So looking at 2008, well, honey, you get Pandemic. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, You get your Dominion. But again, Dominion with no expansions. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe the I don't first thing. that is. <laughs> I don't know how, don't know how to point. even understand that. That's concept. a fair point. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's been a long time since we played just vanilla Dominion. Uh, suffice to say, there are only so many cards in that box. Okay. Is all I'm saying. Uh, you get Roll Through the Ages. Oh, I love Roll Through the Ages. You get Dixit. Dixit. So awesome. we have some party gaming. Yeah. Uh, you get Palace Royale. Uh -huh. um, which is you, you remember, like it? Yeah, I, and that's it. Oh, okay. That's it. But that's that's some strong pandemic. games, but that's a short list. It's got pandemic, but no expansions. So just vanilla pandemic. <sighs> all right, but still, all righty. And now let's uh, look at Gloomhaven, which is 2017. 2017, Honey Pie. Yeah. You get Gloomhaven. You get Santa Maria. 
that's the one. I, if I showed it to you, you'd instantly recognize it. It's the super heavy, crunchy tile lane game where we draft the dice. There's white dice and blue dice, um, and you're you, you, you're basically putting tiles out into your own little colony in, in the new world. And if you grab a, a blue die, I think, um, you have to put it on the left, and then it, it goes across from left to right, activating all your tiles. If you get a yes. white die, it's from the top down. Yeah. And so, but you have to activate them in order. So, uh, you know, so you're, you're constantly laying them out. Okay, well, I, I want this because I'm going to want to activate this column. But if I put it up here where I've got the free space, it'll activate before the thing that gives me the resources for it. And, I mean, it was just like the most insanely brain-burning, one of the most brain-burning puzzles we've ever played. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that one's fantastic. And then you've got, moving on, uh, Jump Drive. We just talked about this the other day. I'm surprised you don't remember. But we haven't played it for like a year. But it's an awesome little, it's like Roll for the Galaxy with cards and super duper fast. It's like a, it's like a, 10-minute game of Roll for the Galaxy with cards instead of dice. Uh, near and Far. Okay. You recognize that, of yep. course. Uh, this War of Mine. I definitely recognize that. Um, London. Although, no, that doesn't count. That's the second edition. I'm not going to count that one. Um, Charterstone. Yeah. All right. Love Charterstone. Um, the, the Castles of Burgundy dice game. Yeah, I mean, that was fine. Yep. Uh, Pulsar 2849. That was the big round board where we were racing... I'd have to show it to you. But it was was a fun interstellar uh, space game. Otis, that was the game where we're deep sea diving in the future and you you have that kind of elevator of people and you slide, you know, every time time a person does something, you slide them out and then they go back up to the surface, everything else slides down and it's like this constantly manipulating that elevator. Merlin from Steffenfeld, it was the round table and we're rolling dice. That's what I was talking about with Monopoly. You roll three dice to move yourself or Merlin. Yep, yep. And sometimes you can move backwards. Yeah, yep. you remember that one? That yep. was a good one. And um, Column of Fire and Riverboat, which we played with uh, Steve and Betsy. Riverboat. Remember, you, you want to go along the dock? It's your number one thing. You always just try to get to the end of the dock yes, above I all do. else. Yes, I like the um, docks. Altiplano and Seventh Continent and Agra and Flatline and Sentient and Quest for Eldorado and Chimera Station and Valletta and Space Race and Xion and Baron Park and Fugitive and Car- Dice Forge and Helionox and Village of Valeria and Tybor the Builder and Five Minute Dungeon and Amonray the Card Game, and Quests of Valeria, and Mintworks, and Century Spice Road, and Anachrony, and Legends of Andor, Last Hope, okay, and Pyramids, I guess probably... and Spirit Island, and Dicey Peaks, and a bunch. Yeah. Okay, so there was a lot more games that came out in 2017. And I went through that exercise to reiterate what I said in the last podcast. Games are getting better across the board. Uh, there's a higher volume, and the percentages are, yeah, it's just of really crazy. really good games is so Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, at any time, my answer would probably be last year. Um, although, Gloomhaven's tough to, tough to top. Alrighty. Sorry, folks. I went on right there. All right. Can you describe what a crazy day at work is like? <laughs> um, like those days just oh. before Essen. How many hours do you spend gaming, filming in those cases? Um, well, the craziest is now that we're here and I've got this room and I could be filming at like midnight, one, two in the morning. Yeah, and he was last night. I could hear him. Because <laughs> he's loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, well, there's there's empty space, but you can still hear me? Yeah. I mean, because... It's, it's, it's totally fine, though. Okay, It's okay. totally fine. All right. Um, I know where you are. Yeah. That is a big element of the craziness because during the day, I've got responsibilities in this house. I've got to help my mom. Uh, you know, I've, I've got to help Jen's mom. If she's got problems with her computer, I've got to call, you know, and do uh, tech support calls. I've got one scheduled for today. That's why it's fresh in my mind. Um, 
I, you know, I've, I've, I've got to do all the other invisible stuff I do for Rado Runs Through. Constantly checking out new games, constantly reading manuals for games we'll never play, all of that stuff. But um, I don't know. How crazy does it get? I think there's a couple times a year when it's really, really, when it's really crazy. But um, yeah, most of the time it's, it's reasonably handleable. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, I mean, I know that's partially because, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard because yeah. I like to make glass too. So we make time to do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. That's the, that, you know, really, I mean, my time is immaterial. I mean, I'll, I'll find the time if I've got the energy to do it. It's more Jen's time because she's got her own full-time job. Um, if she would just quit. With the gamer glass. Oh, man. <laughs> if only you would stop doing that thing you love. <laughs> yeah, if only. The, your, your passion in life. If you would only just put it aside for games. Yeah, for imagine. You know, just a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the trickiest thing is always trying to find time with Jen. So when things get really bad, like you said, pre-Essen, basically it just comes down to much more strict and regimented scheduling. Honey Pie, yeah. this Thursday... You, you can't even think about glass because we are going to play games for, um, you know, with a few breaks here and there, uh, you know, seven or eight hours straight, which I know for some people like seven or eight hours, bleh, don't waste my time. I was going to say 24 hours. But for Jen, that's a big ask. That is a huge ask. Uh, and it is problematic, too, because generally, I mean, we're not playing games that we know and love. We're playing brand new games we've never seen before. I'm reading the rules as fast as I can. Those are the worst times because I'm still, I, I haven't had enough properly under normal circumstances, I read the rules, I set up the thing, I play a few rounds of it myself um, so that when we sit down, it can be as smooth as possible with Jen. But in those tight time things, I'm still reading the rules while Jen's sitting there waiting. Um, and that, you know, that's maybe the craziest thing right there. Because I really feel so much pressure because I know she'd be much rather up um, you know, working on her glass. Because chances are at that time, she's under a lot of pressure too. It's that combined pressure that really hits us. Because we both tend to get hit at the same time. Which is to say, late in the year. Yeah. Um, her because of Christmas orders. And me because of po- pre- and post-Essen deluge. Well, in, in years past too, I've been trying to get enough glass ready for showing at Essen. Uh-huh. So that was also Oh, th- yeah, yeah, something. totally, totally. So, and, well, and this year, even though you didn't have that, you still, pre-Essen, you had a lot of work to do because you had a lot of orders that had to be carried over. Yeah. Uh, alrighty. So, yeah. So, I don't, know, I don't know if that fully describes it, but hopefully that gives you an idea, Thomas. When you are forced to stop filming for some time, like with your recent health issue, uh, does Jen feel pressure, the pressure of the mountain of games that are piling <laughs> up? Honey pie. Um. Yeah, because the pressure's on her as often as not. Yeah. I can always make the time. She's the tough one. I, I think I feel the pressure sort of all the time. And, and I wouldn't call it pressure, really. It's just an awareness that um, I'm the bottleneck. So I need to make time to play so that he can move forward with all of his steps. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, that's always ongoing because we, you know, every day, I don't know if it's every day, but we probably get about 10 games a week in the post. Would you say that's accurate? Uh, it, it ebbs and flows. I would say that's maybe like slightly on the high. I would say maybe on average, an average week is five to seven games. And, you know, sometimes it, it gets upwards of 20. Sometimes, I don't think it ever gets below two, two or three. Yeah. And sometimes people will send extra stuff in the box of games. <laughs> so that's always kind of fun too. Yeah. Um, but I, I like chocolate. <laughs> Dark chocolate, you should hasten <laughs> oh, Hastenly, yes. Anyway, um, yeah, so I think it's just a, a matter of finding our balance. And because we're still, even now, getting settled in, I mean, putting up Christmas decorations and things like that, which aren't, you know, something that you have to do all the time. But there's just always 
there's still settling in stuff that we're doing in addition to normal life stuff, in addition to glass and games. So it's all, it's all coming together. Usually it takes about a year to really get settled in. Hmm. Okay. Alrighty. And next up. Yeah. How comfortable are we with the theme of Santa Maria? And uh, now we were just talking about Santa Maria. You know, it's, it's almost seamless. It could have been set. It could have been all about colonizing Mars. It could have been anything. <gasps> but uh, you don't know this because why would you? I didn't read. There the was a huge backlash, um, and made all the more huge because the designer was brave enough to stand up in the face of the backlash and and give his reasons. And I have nothing but respect and applaud him for always being polite and always trying to answer questions, even when people I thought were being very unreasonable. But here here is the complaint um, about it. It is set in the New World. We are Spanish. We're literally Spanish conquistadors. Mm. And the cover of the box is a big smiling, hi there, Spanish conquistador. Um, you know, literally bigger than life, representing how he's pretty much crushing the native peoples of Central America. Oh. Um, and the primary, the way victory points are represented in the game is literal happy faces. Um, you earn happy faces because of how happy we are that we're finding all the gold. How did we get it? Oh, let's not dwell on how we got it. Yeah. Let's just get it. There is a conquistador track that makes us rich. Why? Because we go up the conquistador track. No reason to really uh, focus on what's happening there. And uh, yeah, and the game at first blush is very cavalier um, because we are, you know, we're, we're participating in um, societal genocide mm. um, and we're getting happy points for it. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of people were outraged by it. Now, when I did the original run-through for it, I pointed out that I really respected the fact that at the end of the rules, they devoted a whole page to a, a decently written, relatively in-depth analysis of the reality of the simulation we were playing through. And I thought that that was a great thing. Hey, yeah, I, I, I pr present the game. Um, I'm not saying they're sugarcoating it, but yeah, but they are kind of dodging the darker aspects of what's going on and, um, with the intention. And I know this because the designer has explicitly stated this was his intention. They want people to come in, people who like Euro games, like Puerto Rico or whatever, but don't really give a second thought to what they're doing. Because who cares? I'm just moving colorful cubes around and collecting chits and maybe rolling some dice or whatever it might be. I'm just here to have fun. I, I, you know, the theme doesn't matter. And so Santa Maria purposely presented itself that way, even went so far as to kind of thumb your nose in it. That, oh, you're getting happiness points. Isn't it great? Look how happy we are. It's such a wonderful time here in Santa Maria. But then at the end, they say, okay, and you play it. And, and if, you, if you're a player who just plays for the games and you don't really think about it, you might um, just, okay, yeah, fine. Oh, we're just get, we're getting happiness points. We're trying to be the happiest we can. Got it. Okay. And, and fair enough. That's, kind, that's insulting. That's, that's, that's grossly um, insulting. But it was done for a reason. There is literal art here because the developers and designers know full well what they're representing. They are not um, you know, blissfully wiping it off or ignoring it. That's why there is the description in the rulebook. Oh, by the way, here's what's really happening. And the reason they're doing that is a very, very important um, one. Because, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know the, the, the Spaniard people of the time, or, you know, the Spanish society 
had no problem with what was going on in Central America. From their perspective, yeah, we're just getting lots of happy points because they're bringing back all this gold and they're bringing back all these resources and it's awesome and it's easy for us to put out of our mind. Well, they didn't see it. Yeah, they didn't see it. Out of sight, out of mind, literally. And what they're doing is they're putting you in that role of somebody who is blissfully unaware and ignorant of the human suffering you're causing. Because why would you know? Who cares, right? Um... They want to put you in that so that you can walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. The reason that the descriptions of what's really happening is there is so that, you know, I, I think the more you play it and you enjoy it, because it's a super fun game, but after you read the description in the back of the rule book about, right, here's what that Contisador track really means. Here's what it represents. You know, the wholesale rape and slaughter of people and, and theft on a culture, you know, and all this stuff. And honestly, if anything, they could have been a, I think maybe they did a little bit too kids club. They could have been a bit more stark with it. But still, I think they did a good enough job that you read that too. And then you go back to playing it. And it sits in the back of your mind that oh you know before I read that I wasn't really thinking about this at all. Uh, if you're if you're a certain type of player who just says who I don't care about this stuff, it gives that message a chance to get under someone's skin. The more they play and think, really, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm getting happiness here, but at what cost? And then just this year they go and release an expansion that now actually puts the other side of the equation directly on the board. And I'm sure that was always their intent to kind of seed the notion that there's more going on here than what at first uh, seems to be the situation. Um, but let's put you in the, from the perspective of somebody who did I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think they did as well this as they did with Endeavor. Go watch my final thoughts for Endeavor. They do the same thing by actually casting you in the role of a slave owner um, and showing you how you know, it just, it's just the most natural thing in the world. It just makes economic sense, because economically it does. Morally it doesn't. And um, how you might find yourself in a situation where you are actively defending the act of slavery so that you can, quote, win the game. Santa Maria was trying to do the same thing. That's why they put happiness points in um, to underline that message. Uh, be because it is a one-sided presentation. Because it's through that one-sided presentation in real life that these kinds of atrocities can happen. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's trying to underline. So you ask what I think about the theme of Santa Maria. I think it's important. And I think people were very short-sighted about it. Now, am I saying he was successful? Maybe yes, maybe no. The proof's in the pudding. But I know for a fact that's what he's attempting because he got on board Game Beak and explained all of this. And still, people completely dismiss it out of hand and it drives me nuts. Because that was a board game being art. I don't know. I mean, I guess a good hallmark of successful art is if it uh, stirs up controversy, right? If it gets people um, strongly opinionated. So maybe it was successful after all. But that's my feeling about Santa Maria. Um, sorry, honey pie. Um, in case you know, that's what the happiness points are. Okay. All righty. If you were a game publisher, what direction, strategy, or mission would you give your company? Mm, bringing people together to enjoy time together. That, I guess that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. All righty. You wouldn't want to change the world. You wouldn't want to open eyes all of Santa Maria or Endeavor. You wouldn't have any kind of socially conscious drive to your art. Mm. I'm trying to think of... I, I think all that's very laudable. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say I think kind of we're here to enjoy ourselves and there's an awful lot of dark stuff out there already and taking a break from it um, in a in a lovely way like sitting across the table playing with a friend seems like a really 
good way to buck that trend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that, 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 that is laudable in and of itself. I, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd have, um, I don't know what kind of mission statement I'd have. The thing is, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. I did it for 20 years. <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. Um, so I like gents. Uh, yeah. Just try to make the world a better place by giving people happiness. Basically. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. I mean, that's what I always took solace in all those long, late overtime nights in the video game industry. I was like, well, this is this is really painful, and I really hate this. But it'll make people's lives better. So, all right, let's keep going. All right, and finally, Thomas, who kind of uh, hogged all of the questions this month, <laughs> says, I wonder if you'd mind giving your thoughts on this short article. To summarize, <laughs> it is a pessimistic view of the evolution of the gaming industry that insists the lack of creativity in recent games. It also points to the fact that publishers are losing money and that the current rise of newly published games is not sustainable. I believe you don't agree with this pessimistic point of view, and I think it is important for the positive voices like yours to be heard. I haven't read the article, but I do not agree with that. I think that is ridiculous, short-sighted, and does not understand history. Here's the deal. Uh, I don't know if this is actually going to be a reasonable counterpoint to said article. All creative industries go through a series of cycles. We are a brand new industry, but we are starting to grow up. Um, the thing is, and no industry can sustain an infinite supply of insane, revolutionary new approaches to how to skin that cat. Sooner or later, um, everybody will have settled down on certain pre-established rules about how to do things. And then it'll go from revolution to evolution. There is nothing wrong with this. This is perfectly natural. This is perfectly reasonable. I understand that 10 years ago, the percentage of, oh my gosh, outside the box, no one's ever seen anything like this before games, you know, amongst the overall complete raft of games that comes out, was much higher than it is today. That is unavoidable. And that is perfectly reasonable. And that is why, to a certain extent, games, on the whole, are better today than they were 10 years ago. Because you have a second generation of designers. Back then, you had the first generation of modern Euro board game designers just figuring it out and realizing, wow, we can do more than Monopoly. Yep. And every new game is like, wow, I haven't seen anything like that. We're getting to the point where more and more ga- fewer and fewer games are like, wow, I haven't seen anything like that. It still happens, but it doesn't happen as much. Um, but what you trade that off for is the new generation of designers that know all those games and know how to fix the problems with them, know how to build on them, know how to fusion different parts of them together to create new and different things, know how to evolve. This is no different than the movie industry. This is no different than the TV industry. Uh, You talk about generational shifts. The movie industry, the 70s, were an incredibly crucial time because that's where you had Coppola and Kubrick and Lucas and Spielberg and dozens of others, Scorsese, all these people who grew up on the great films of the 50s and 60s when the technology was really satisfying themselves. And then you had this huge artistic explosion where, I mean, they, you know, the Godfather didn't reinvent anything. It just took the lessons learned and did something, or it was an evolution of what had come before. And it's one of the most important works of all time. 
Um, that's what we're living through right now. And while some people say, well, I remember when I started out, um, we were making jumps from black and white to color. We were making jumps from si silent movies to speakies. Why don't we have innovation like that anymore? Get off your horse, dude. If you, you know, your get-off-my-lawn curmudgeonly nature is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, it's and I should be more positive and upbeat. Um, you're welcome to your opinion, but it completely ignores history. TV is going through this right now. We are in a golden age of television because you've got a new generation, maybe even a third generation of, of showrunners who were inspired by Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere. And, you know, these really big watershed moments uh, in, you know, the evolution of television. I, I think it's an exciting sign to be a gamer. Um... Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And I reject these kinds of pessimistic views. I'm um, sorry I haven't read the article because um, cause we got to keep going. Uh, so anyway, let's oh, move. Oh, yes. Oh, but, yes. But Honey has something to say about it. Yes, you, Honey Pie. You kind of already talked about this when we were just saying about the games of 2007, 2008 versus 2017. It's kind of why I did that. Yes, it's why I was a bit silly. Go on, yeah. I'm just mentioning, you just proved that whole point. Exactly, yeah. I, you know, I mean, and some people might say, yeah, but you haven't played all the games in 2007, man! And I'm like, yes, I have. We've been at this for a long, well, for our taste, a long time now. We've been at this for a decade now, playing um, games. And I guarantee you, I have probably played 95% of the games from the year 2007 that Jen and I would enjoy playing. Because you know what? One, there weren't that many games. Yep. There just weren't. And back then, there was a dearth of games that focused on the two-player experience. Because at that point, they hadn't evolved as an industry to understand just how important couples gaming is. They have now. That's why I'd much rather be playing games today than back then. Um, yes, there are undisputed classics that are hugely influential and important, and they deserve to be immortalized thusly, like we talked about with another question about um, Box Office Mojo versus, uh, you know, influential award type stuff. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the number of games that I felt was worth keeping in our collection from 2017 dwarfs that of from 2007. And I have played all of the potential games that Jen and I would enjoy from both those years. 2017 crushes and destroys 2007. Um, the, the industry is not in trouble at all. Okay, Gerald, Jerry says, do you prefer rule books with humor, like Dungeon Pets, or should they be serious? Should serious games demand serious rule books? And what rule books should designers study? Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, the the works of Vladislav because yeah, I, I, they should use humor if they can do it effectively to help make the game easier to absorb. I care less about humor, and I care more about thematic integration, and I care more about proper overall structure. I care more. I don't understand why every single rule book maker doesn't copy the Aaliyah model of, hey, on the left side of this page is the in-depth, all the little persnickety elements of the rules are spelled out, and in the right column, there's a one-sentence summary of it. So that if I go back and I play the game six months from now, I can summarize it really quick and get right back into it. That's so brilliant. Why? I mean, that's a brilliant and innovative approach to teaching via text. Uh, why isn't everybody doing that? So there you go. Study Aaliyah books. They generally do a very good job. And they always get the structure right. Alrighty. Last podcast, you mentioned something very interesting about creating unique game descriptions. Any chance you could give two examples for Nations and Peloponnese? You know what? We had that other question earlier where I forget who it was now. Um, so, or Henrik, I think, asked me to uh, 
criticize some. So I think you, you kind of got the idea there. Okay, honey, thank you for your patience. Oh, sure. All righty. Are you ready to get to the personal stuff? I would like to have a brief break. I would like to have a 24-hour break because uh, I'm very exhausted. That was that was very animated. You were, yes, you were all over that. Uh, people were, were pushing all my buttons. I was triggered, I tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, but we will be back in a minute, folks, with the personal Q&A. And, um, and if you're not interested in Jen and me and you're only here for the games, well, then thanks once again for listening, and we'll talk to you again next month. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. And now this. Okay, everybody, we're back. Jen's got a nice, new, freshly warmed cup of tea. And a few bits of chocolate. A few bits of bitter, bitter chocolate. It's so angry at the world, this chocolate. I can't even tell you, folks. <laughs> I did open up a new, a fresh bar of chocolate that was only 53% chocolate. And oh, it's, it's sea salt chocolate. Oh, God. Which I thought, for some reason, might be interesting. But I think, oh, I think I was thinking of salted caramel chocolate. Anyway, it kind of tastes like that residue from fireworks. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of that sulfuric uh, burning kind of thing that you get in your nose when you're around fireworks. <laughs> That's what it tastes like. So, yeah, that's going to be... Sold! <laughs> going to be going in the trash. Wow. You don't think you can make some moose out of it? I think it's going to have that no, taste to I, it. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, he had a piece of it, and he says, Honey, you can have the rest of that bar. I'm like, um, Yeah, I no. hope you enjoy the rest of that bar, nope, I said. Nope, nope, nope. But we did have a really good bar of chocolate recently from Green and Black's, and it was a salted caramel. Oh, my God. I didn't even... He didn't get any. Oh, okay. I, ha- I had it. I opened it up. I took it upstairs to the studio and I put it away because he will inhale a, ba- a bar of chocolate where I will savor it over the course of a couple of weeks. Mm, I just savor it differently than you. You savor it all down in one big gulp. Why can't you savor TV shows like you savor chocolate? Oh, so we were watching um, what we were watching last night and your the mom was so rookie. upset. The Rookie. The Rookie had a... Um, season a mid-season cliffhanger yeah and mom was not pleased with that she was not pleased and the funny thing is okay so what's the guy's name the actor oh all i can think of is his character name yeah no um well anyway so there's another he's he was in a a series um called the author what's the author one uh castle castle and so nathan fillion nathan fillion ah I'm sorry, go on. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. So we were um, we were watching Castle, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And um, I think there's like six years or something of, of Castle, and we just keep getting bits and pieces of it. And um, so Duck's mom knows that there's like six years of this TV show. And she's like, oh, it's too heavy. I can't, I can't do, like, that's too many episodes I can't looming over me for six years of episodes. So when The Rookie started... Um, and I love, I love down, you know, getting like a whole season of a show and then I can binge watch if I want to. And then you don't get stuck with these stupid cliffhangers. You could just go, Oh, we'll just watch one more. Okay. It's two o'clock in the morning. Who cares? We'll just watch one more. It's okay. Um, so anyway, she was so upset last night because here's this cliffhanger and it's not going to be on again until January 9th. Something like that. Yeah. I think. And she's upset. I'm like, lady, I told you that there were benefits. <laughs> to waiting until to the waiting end. until the end of the season and watching it at our pleasure, but she wouldn't have any of that. So, 
I still, my original question though is why will you savor this and say, oh, I oh. only have one piece a week he's, so he's... I can savor it, but you won't savor one episode of a show a week right, and you we were... must watch them religiously and relentlessly, let it all wash over you and so only like 5% of it sticks in your brain. Mm. Explain yourself. I guess I just like to know how this story ends. <laughs> well, she's <laughs> sooner saying, than later. If she, yeah, if she gets a novel, she will just sit down and read it cover yeah. to cover uh, within got, a couple days, usually. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, and he was pointing at my pile of chocolate, by the way, when he said this stuff. Yeah, the the bitter, bitter, angry chocolate. <laughs> Why can we have no sweet chocolate? Sweet chocolate's supposed to be sweet. Because if I buy you sweet chocolate, you will inhale it, and it's gone within what? Yeah. That that is true. Three or four minutes. All right, all righty. So anyway, actually getting to real questions as opposed to our questions to each other. <laughs> Ron says a couple of podcasts ago he heard me make reference to Laputa Castle in the Sky, which I believe he's ref- mistakenly called Island in the Sky. Ron, it's Castle in the Sky from Ghibli Studios. He was wondering if I was a fan of Ghibli, and if so, what movie is my favorite? And Jens, I suppose. And also, what Ghibli movie would you like to see made into a board game? Personally, he'd like Totoro or Howl's Moving Castle. Um, let's see. I'm certainly a fan. Uh, these days, Ghibli's about the only anime I can handle. And when I was in college, I went definitely through an anime phase. When I was first, Obviously, when I was a kid, I loved Star Blazers and Speed Racer and a few other seminal shows from the 70s and 80s. But, um, yeah, in college... I saw Akira and thought, oh my god, this is amazing anime. It's the most incredible thing ever. And then I saw Ghost in the Shell. And then I saw uh, Castle in the Sky. And I'd still say, I mean, I haven't, I don't, I'm sure I've seen all of Ghibli Studios stuff. And I think Castle in the Sky is still the best. Oh no, I've never seen the pig, flying pig, Porco Rosso or something like that. I've never seen that one. I've seen everything else. And for me, Castle in the Sky is still the high watermark. And uh, it would definitely be the one I'd love to see a game of. I mean, although often I feel like we we get to see games set in Laputa all the time because it kind of feels like that's what um, Ryan Lockett's art is very evocative of. I could totally see those big guardian robots uh, being central characters in a Ryan Lockett game. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, Jen likes them. About, do you even remember them? Uh, I think Kiki's Delivery is the only one I actually remember. Okay, I was just going to say, do you remember the one with the little witch girl who delivered stuff with her broom, honey? Yeah. And not only does she remember it, she remembers the name of it. Yeah. So uh, there you go. That's the one that stuck with her. Because you've seen most, I don't think you've seen all of them. But um, yeah. So no, we're not super diehard aficionados, but we like them. But yeah. Yeah, I used to be much more hardcore into anime than I am now. Or and mangas and all of it. Alrighty, what was that for Ron? Yes, Chuck wanted to respectfully disagree with implying that the country doesn't welcome immigrants. Oh my. This country. Yes, our country. Not the country. country. Uh, Over one million persons were admitted in the country last year. Uh, How many were admitted the previous year? Would be my immediate response to you, Chuck. Um, Yes, we are... uh, uh, Sorry. Um, My mother came here in 1959. And uh, millions upon millions have been welcomed for decades upon decades. That's certainly true. I'm talking about the current administration and their anti-immigration policies that have been absolutely atrocious. Um, When your mother came to the country in 1959... Were, was there a decent chance that 
you, as her child, would have been ripped from her arms and sent to a different holding facility than she was. Mm. No, that would not have happened. That happened now as a result of our current commander-in-chief. Sorry, sorry, I'll let you continue. Yes, the country is struggling with the issue. Uh, No, the country as a whole is not struggling with immigration. Immigration is a net benefit for society. We should open our doors and do everything we can to make it possible for passionate people to come here and work. Because they will pay taxes and they will ensure that the social safety net will be solvent for generations. We are a country that is aging. We're not as far along as Japan with its even more draconian anti-immigration stance that it takes. But we need fresh blood. Fresh blood is what has always been the keystone to success and prosperity of this nation. And the country does not have an immigration problem. A small minority of the people in this country have a problem with immigration. And unfortunately, even though they lost the election by 3 million votes, they have the guy in charge who gets to literally kidnap children who have come here seeking asylum, which is Lee. All right. Sorry, I'll let you. I'm sorry, I'll let you continue, Chuck. Um, I just think it's an unfair assertion made in part because you dick like the president. I said hated, and I stand by that. I hate the man. Back, I used to watch Celebrity Apprentice religiously. I absolutely loved it to tears. And it's funny, all those years, I always thought, I always thought, there's no way he could be this stupid because you know, in the in the final um, boardroom. I was always, I mean, he always just made such stupid, capricious, idiotic decisions just on dumb, meaningless whims. I mean, you can go on YouTube. I mean, there's uh, greatest hits of just his absolute idiocy. And my thought was always, oh, okay, we're just not being fair. We got to see the whole episode. We saw everything that happened. And so uh, they're probably keeping that from him so he can be more real. And so I'll give him benefit of the doubt. I don't give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. He's a terrible, terrible man. And I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. I know there's a certain percentage of folks who are listening to this right now, and it's personally insulting to you. And look, you have your opinion. I am not insulted by your opinion, even though I violently disagree with it. I would request respectfully that you try not to be insulted by my opinion, because I guarantee there are things in this world that you hate that I love. I do not begrudge you hating them. So please do not begrudge me hating something that you love. So, I mean, we can all agree to disagree. But Chuck wanted to mention, um, let's see. Sorry, I think it's an unfair assertion to be made. I stand by my assertion that the current administration's policies that they have implemented are inhuman and ridiculous and contrary to the best um, intentions, the best wishes, our history, and our future prosperity. We need more immigration. We desperately need it. It's a good thing. We also need the energy and the oomph that fresh blood brings. Yes. We need passionate people who are coming here to live out the dream that we or our forefathers or Chuck, your parents, came here to live out that dream. And every year... It has been getting harder and harder, more and more draconian, and with the advent of literally kidnapping children uh, from people who have committed no crime, because it is not a crime to seek asylum. Sorry, sorry. Anyway, 
Uh, fail to I, 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 you're concerned. I fail to acknowledge the extreme historical record that contradicts. I'm not talking about history. I'm talking about today, Chuck. Today, which is just flies in the face of the history that you are lauding and which I join you in lauding. Anyway. Not that we've always been perfect either. Uh, Let's go back to World War II and talk about some of the choices we made then. Anywho, you actually had a question. Sorry. Uh, Apologies. Wow, this has just been the Rado shouting in a mic hour. Uh, (laughs) Happy Christmas, everybody. All righty. Oh, but okay, you're still on the topic. Why risk alienating your supporters or anyone watching or listening with statements such as these on your videos? Couldn't you have just said what you said without the political spin and still made your point in a more subtle and maybe more effective manner? Hmm. I think you handle yourself with class, especially when people are being jerks. I enjoy everything you do and always respect the level of dedication you put in the ember. Thank you very much, Chuck. I I, I apologize for getting a little heated there. I, I realize I definitely did. Um... Uh, I send my best wishes to you and your family, and I return the favor to you, Chuck. Uh, To answer your question, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was really moved by the death of Stan Lee recently. Um, You know, um, not because of the death necessarily. I mean, although I think he's... Jesus, Louise. God damn it. You can drink your water. Drink your water. He's drinking... Ah, all right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love Stanley and all that, and gosh darn it. But what I wanted to talk about was all of the, uh, the you know, not the eulogies and whatnot, but the articles that talked that that um, posted Stan, Stan soapboxes from over the years, from the seventies predominantly, and there were you know at a time when Stan and everybody else at Marvel were pushing socially progressive ideas in um, in comic books, and there were all these people who were coming out of the woodwork and saying, "How dare you try to do anything other than make stories about people in tights punching each other? That's what I've come for. I don't want to hear about the the civil rights movement." Um, or, or the problems of the Negro in America. That's there's a place for that, and this is not it. And he's feeling strongly. <laughs> he's. I was so moved by reading all of those uh, responses that he gave that were so much more classy than anything I could ever do. But I was inspired to redouble my efforts and not shy away from talking about things that are important. These are important. If somebody asks me, I'm going to answer. I do think immigration is an incredibly important issue. Nowhere near as important as climate change, which is by far the number one most pressing issue facing humanity. But anyway, um, I was inspired by those. And so I'm, I'm sorry if it bothers you, Tom. And I know it bothers a certain number of people. But just because I do a stupid little show about board games, um, I don't agree that that means that I can only be stuck in a box talking about board games. Uh, particularly if we're talking about the, uh, you know, the personal portion of the of the podcast. Now, to be fair, I think last month it was actually in the game section, right? Because it was talking about a game. Oh, which one was it? Um, the immigration game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe, may, and maybe I made a mistake. I don't remember. Maybe I made a mistake, 
and I should have said, hey, let me table this, and I'll talk about it in the personal section. Uh, I, if, if I talked about it in the game section, I'll cop to that. I tried to keep that to gaming. It was kind of tangential gaming because it was a bunch of people complaining about me saying in a run-through, immigration is good. That's literally all I said, and people came out of the woodwork for weeks talking about how I was an SJW snowflake, and I should just shut the hell up and talk about games and I, I, I'm sorry, I fundamentally disagree with that. I think any platform is a reasonable platform for the discussion of topics that are of huge, monumental importance to society as a whole, including my dumb little podcast. So, um, Tom, I wish you and yours the best, and I will respectfully disagree. Um, why risk alienating supporters? Because these are important things that are worth talking about. If I alienate, if somebody decides I'm not going to listen to Rado anymore because Rado is pro-immigration and do, and isn't afraid to say so, then I'm sorry. We'll, we will have to part ways. Um, and I hope you get uh, board game information from somewhere else that you find more in uh, keeping with your uh, with, with your personal worldview values. I think it's important to shout about these things from the rooftop everywhere. And Stan did too. Well, you hear that about Anne Frank. is If, if you don't say something as you see things happening, pretty soon there will be no one left to say anything as it happens to you. So we all have to stick together. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you, Chuck. I'm with you. Even if we agree to disagree. Okay. Um, Reed. Oh, jeez. Ah, I'm sorry. How you he do says, have- I see Siphon Filter made it on the PS1 Classic. <laughs> the console is getting panned in the press. And I want went from planning to buy one to sitting on the fence. Do you get any royalties for PlayStation's classic sales? <laughs> wow, I wish we did. No, we don't. Um, if so, maybe that'll get me off the fence. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to totter off the fence without us yeah i'm sorry uh no no, that ship sailed a long time yeah a long time ago as soon as i walked out the door i said goodbye to any future royalties that's not the way it works in the game industry i have no ownership over siphon filter or any of the games i ever worked on um yeah but i mean i I actually i have no i haven't looked into the ps1 class i don't know what the problems with it are i do know if you have a playstation 3 you can buy i think siphon 1 2 and 3 and they i've I've played them. They all play fine there, so that's an option. I would assume you can do it on PS4 as well, but I'm not sure about that, but I do know. I mean, heck, you could probably go out and buy a PS3 for 15 bucks and then buy the games <laughs> for 3 bucks a pop. And is that cheaper than PS1 Classic? I don't know. Also, I alluded to some black sheep in my family in 42, P Podcast 42, uh, about how you needed to contact a sheriff about it. Uh, do we want to tell that story? Up to you, my love. Ah, well, they'll take my mind off of Stan Lee. Oh man, that was that was embarrassing. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm sure I've mentioned in the past that my brother, my younger brother, three years my junior, your only brother, my only brother. I have a half sister somewhere out in the world, but nobody knows where she is uh, because my mom gave her up to adoption because she had the whole thing in college. Um, anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, my brother has always been a black sheep. Even It's a shame, because he's always had more potential than me. He's always been smarter than me when we were both kids, sharper, funnier, more charismatic, better looking by every metric. He had everything going, except, I don't know, something about his brain chemistry versus mine, because he has always fought everything. 
in his life. And he has always taken the wrong path, the wrong choices, the wrong people in his life without fail. And it's just heartbreaking. But anyway, uh, yeah, he's got two sons and a daughter that we know of. And the younger son, Sidney, when we got here, my mom was, you know, he had, yeah, yeah, like father, like son, not far from the tree. Uh, I didn't know him. I, I'd met him when he was a little tiny kid. I hadn't met him. He's a He's in his mid-twenties, and mom was letting him stay at the cabin next door. When my dad was still alive, my mom and dad were still married, but they were functionally separated. They lived next door to each other more as neighbors, um, just because they'd been through so much, and um, and that was a real roller coaster of a relationship. And when my dad died, the oh my god, the we could write a book of all the trials and tribulations my mom has gone through with that cabin. But anyway. Most recently, Sydney had moved in. Mom was letting him live there to try and get his life back together. And he was just completely taking advantage of her. Her uh, her goodwill and her kindness and her generosity. And I'll be honest, man, Sydney has probably had one of the most profound impacts on my worldview of any person I've ever met. Because we were, we, what was it? it was probably like three months that we were living in Belfair. Yeah, about that. And he was living next door. And uh, hardly a day would go by that he didn't come over asking for a handout because oh you know he needed gas for this or he needed something for something else and you know he, he's 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 definitely getting his ducks in a row and he's doing job interviews and I'm like okay you know what um, I've always believed um, you you treat a person like you want to be treated you um, you give them the benefit of the doubt if if you want them to be a good person treat them like a good person they'll rise to the occasion and so you know he was my litmus test for this and in a million and a half ways he let me down and proved to me it's not as simple as that so I'm sure there are plenty of conservative listeners out there saying yeah maybe Rado's going to get it after all that some people anyway sorry don't need to get political again apologies for that uh, but anyway yes. Um, eventually, oh God, no, I actually, I'm sorry. I don't want to tell the whole story because it's, there's nothing fun about it at all. When Jen and I got here, it was three months of, of just literal hell and because of him and, and the daily pain and agony he put all of us through, um, as we were doing our best to do, to do good by him and help him out and do the charitable thing and try to let him get his, uh, life on track. Eventually we had to leave and, um, it seemed like we'd reached some kind of equilibrium. He was on track, but as soon as we left any kind of Progress. Uh, a progress that was made just instantly disappeared. We were getting calls from the neighbors about how all kinds of mysterious shady drug dealers were hanging out and dealing drugs out of the cabin and just in and you know weird Amazon black market stuff was happening literally. And um, so we eventually, okay, look, Sydney, you have to leave. And you know he tried to put the guilt trip on mom and you know how he was going to die. And it's like you know, and mom had a really hard. It was just a, just the worst situation possible. And um, you know we had to the police had to go out a few times and eventually uh thank god uh you know a literal saint of a woman uh our neighbor Terry who had helped been helping mom out off and on for years as you know her health got worse and worse but just really couldn't be there for her full time that's why we had to come back uh you know Terry stepped up and um I literally got him on a ferry to go over to Seattle which is where his dad my brother lives uh he's homeless he lives in a van in Ballard and uh, 
And, you know, and so he could get on to his next chapter in life. Uh, because apparently he was going to go to his aunt on his mother's side who manages a house somewhere there. And and I don't know what's happening. I don't know. But um, yeah, basically, after he was gone and I went back up there, the place was stripped for parts. Everything of value was gone. Um, the big, gigantic, wood-burning stove inside, gone. Appliances, gone. Um, power tools, gone. Uh, a- an entire big, gigantic dog kennel and a huge, very, very expensive carport, gone. All of it stolen. And so we reported all of it. And of course, when you know, my mom's... Um, uh, homeowner policy has such a ridiculously high deductible, she will not see a penny off of any of it. Never mind the fact I'm never seeing that 500 bucks back that we lent to him in good faith. He's, I'll totally get it. I know we're never seeing that $500 again, or four or $500. Never mind the fact that he trashed one of my laptops that I lent him. He trashed an iPhone I gave him. Just totally destroyed them in fits of rage. Yeah, I'm sorry. What was the question? Um, <laughs> can you tell us the story? No, I'm sorry, Reed. There is no story. That's But that should story. give you an idea. But I, I do not have it packaged in a fun little series of anecdotes that you know ends with a with with a fun twist. It was just awful. It was just awful. And many, I, I work really really hard, not going to sleep all these months later, just um, you know cursing him under my breath as I'm just trying to go off to sleep because I just can't stop thinking uh, about how miserable. Uh, sorry. Um, let's get back to some fun. Henrik, help me out here, buddy. Uh, oh wait, no, nope. That's wisdom month that comes to the end. Uh, Thomas, hey, we're back to Thomas. He had a lot of game questions. He has only one non-gaming question. Aside oh. from beagles, honey pie. What is your favorite dog breed or breeds? I love Great Danes. Mm-hmm. If ever we get a chance to have big dogs, yeah, but we just can't do it. We can't have a dog that's only going to live for seven years. I know, but I love them. It'd be a great seven years. I love them. I know they're great. They are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, in, <laughs> it's the name. in the name. Yeah. Um, I think actually our next dogs, will, I'm sure will be rescue ones, but if I could get something that is, um, oh shoot, Bichon Frise, uh, a mix of a Bichon. You've been talking about those for years. I have been talking about them for Why? years. Why? I mean, they're those little puff balls, right? Um, well, there's several little white puff balls, but the Bichons tend to be less energetic and smarter than a lot of the little yappy dogs. And so I just think that that would be a good one. The problem is we, we met a wonderful Bichon um, and her owner in Bruges. Do you remember when Dad and Nance took us to Bruges? Or we went with Dad and Nance. I can't remember. Anyway, um, and it was just this wonderful, calm dog that was staying in the hotel that we were staying in. And just, you know, just a cool, a cool creature. And I've, that's always stayed in my head. They're little dogs. They weigh under 10 pounds. And I think in the future we will be flying back and forth from Europe. Um, so I want a dog that I can take on the plane with me very easily and beagles unfortunately are a little heavy for that they'd always have to go in you know down below as cargo and so that doesn't mean that i can fly back and forth from the from europe a couple times a year with them that's it's just too much too much to ask too expensive um too stressful Ugh. Mm. so i want little dogs that i can put in a little carrier and stick under the the seat in front of me um so i think that in that case and i'm sure like i said we'll get we'll end up with rescues We'll go, you know, when the time is right, and hopefully that won't be for a good another 10, 12 years, because um, we got a fresh crop going now with Daisy and Gert. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'll be something little, but I, I'm, uh, it's it's a rare chihuahua that I think is cute. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sure they're great dogs, but yeah, there's like one in a thousand that is a, it fits my criteria for aesthetics. <laughs> um, I like Yorkies also, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe Yorkies, but oh my gosh, what a yap on those dogs. Uh, we had a Lhasa Opso mix. Scuttle was our first dog. She was awesome. So I would certainly be happy to look again at a Lhasa Opso. But we effectively did, didn't we? The That rescue yes, in Malta? Actually we what did. was it? Was it a... I think it was a Shizu. A Shizu, yeah. Yeah, actually. Oh, I, I heard a funny joke. Uh-oh. Um, why can't a bulldog and a Shih Tzu um, have puppies together? I don't know, honey pie. Why can't a bulldog and a Shih Tzu have puppies together? Do you know the answer? No. Oh, because their puppies would be bullshit. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, sorry, folks. That wasn't We're going to have S- to get a rated M for mature on this one. <laughs> it was S-C-H-I-T-Z. Ah, I see. Shih Tzu. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just saw that joke. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> I, I, I know you did because that's your kind of joke. <laughs> I like that kind of stuff. Uh, not the not the cursing part, but the <laughs> the pun part. Anyway, um, yeah. So I would definitely look at at the, uh, you know a small fuzzy dog as well. Mm-hmm. How about you? What about uh, the heebie-jeebies? The heebie-jeebies. The heebie-jeebies. Oh, I think they're too big. Oh. A PBGV is a Petite Basset Griffon Vendine, which is half of what Daisy is. Um, and we, we don't know what the other half is. Or we assume it, she's half that, half Beagle, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the assumption. Um, but yeah, I think that that would still be too too heavy a dog for my under-the-seat plan. Mm-hmm. All right. PBGV. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and again, I'm sure it'll just be some, some mutt that captures our heart, and it'll be a small mutt. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Oh, was... no terriers. God, I just don't have the energy to own a terrier. Yeah, we're we're pretty low energy. Yeah, folks here. Yep. All righty. Gerald wonders, Honey Pie, what are your top two cocktails? Oh, I love a lemon drop. That's okay. got to be my number one easy thing to get. I uh-huh. love a lemon drop. And then my second one. His are Long Island iced teas and mojitos. Mojitos are awfully good, um, but I'm going to go with something creamy, something Bailey's and chocolatey. Something like that. Okay. I don't know that there's... This is the problem. I go into a restaurant and I'm like, I, I need the drinks menu because I don't know. I'm not sophisticated enough to... That never helps. All you have to do is just go in and say, hi, I'd like what the sweetest alcoholic beverage you have here, please. And then double the sugar. That's all you need to do and it'll never be hard. You mm. always do this crazy dance. <laughs> You ask for a recommendation. Well, is that one sweet? And they'll say, well, it's, it's not a dry. And, yeah, but how sweet is it? It's like... Just ask them for the sweetest thing they have. <laughs> yeah, I like sweet. Mm-hmm. I like fruity sweet things. Fruity. If it's got an umbrella in it, that's probably, I'll like it. All right. So, cr- Bailey's and cream and lemon drops. Yeah, Bailey's and chocolate. Bailey's and chocolate and lemon drops. Yeah. Okay. Phew, honey, you got to wake your computer back up. Oh, no. Unless I, you have memorized was, your was, words of wisdom no, for the month no. that Henrik is demanding. Okay, but um, my computer said it was done with its battery, so I emailed you my quote. Oh, Henrik, let me get to my email. Let's uh, find the outlook. It's a quote by F. John Scott Fitzgerald. F. Scott John Fitzgerald. Yep. You're going to have to make that big enough so I can see it from here. Here it comes. Oh my. Yes, oh, geez, Louise. Yep. Okay. So I thought this was really good, especially for the end of the year and as we start thinking about next year and making resolutions and stuff. So this is F. Scott Fitzgerald. I don't know where I got the John. <laughs> uh, so we'll just strike that from the record. Anyway, he says, for what it's worth, it's never too late or, in my case, too early to be whoever you want to be. There's no time limit. Stop whatever you want. Whenever you want. Whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. 
There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best of it or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. And I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things that you never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. If you find that you're not, I hope that you have the strength to start all over again. Here, here. Yep. All right. Why does that speak to you, honey? Um, I just think at this time of year, people are, are getting ready with the New Year's resolutions. And um, we've certainly made a bunch of changes this year. Yes. There's a lot of that stuff that applies to us. So Yes. Yeah, I just didn't, uh, I think if you keep doing the same stuff and expecting different results, well, that's insanity. So try some new stuff this year. Okay. All right, folks, that's it. A uh, significantly shorter than normal personal Q&A, uh, but that's probably just as well because it's been an emotional roller coaster, hasn't it? <laughs> I apologize. Again, I apologize for anybody I've upset with my views. I hope we can agree to disagree, and I hope uh, we'll hear more from you. As always, send those cues. Uh, and beware, there will be A's at questions at rotto.com. And otherwise, well, we'll see you in the new year, everybody. Next episode will be the, uh, probably, I haven't even decided this yet, uh, the rundown of most anticipated games. And uh, so we might not be getting Jen back till Feb. I don't know. That's weeks away. We'll worry about it soon. In the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. And happy holidays.